You're listening to The Red Tales, the Red by Moddy Body podcast, which candidly celebrates the messy and iconic parts of our teenage years and our bodies. From juggling changing friendship groups, dealing with first heartbreaks, and waking up to changing body parts, our teenage years are filled with the most defining and often cringeworthy moments of our lives. Luckily, we're not alone. Red by Moddy Body is sustainable, easy to use period underwear for tweens and teens. It gives us the best protection against period leaks and stains so we can ditch pads and get on with living our best lives. I'm Sasha Meany, your host, and every fortnight I'll be joined by a young Aussie who isn't afraid to open up about the all-too-relatable moments from their teenage years and how they lived to tell the tale. Endometriosis. For some of us, it's an unfamiliar and foreign topic. But for many people across the globe, it's an everyday reality. Today, Zoe Cetas is here to shed light on their experience with the condition. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Zoe. How are you? I'm good. Thank yes. you for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for coming. Um, and you're going to be talking to us about something that I, I don't have any experience of. So I'm really just going to be learning from you. So please <laughs> tell me everything and, you know, what we're missing in mm. our terms of knowledge on this. But endometriosis, it is something that I think we're hearing more about now. But what what was your journey in that kind of like learning about it? And like, was it, how did you know what happened? Well, I, I'd never even heard of it before I was diagnosed, really. I sort of, I got my first period when I was 15 and that was pretty, a pretty awful experience. Not going to lie. I had like a lot of pain, a lot of nausea. Um, I felt so ill and I just thought that that was what a normal period was. Um, because we're not really taught that at school. Like what, what are the parameters of normal? And I just thought that because everyone's in pain when they get their period that that's okay. Yeah. Um, it's such a subjective scale. Like you exactly. don't know where to put yourself on it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I guess when I was about 19, my periods were getting worse and worse in terms of pain and flow as well. And I, and just other symptoms like IBS symptoms as well. Um, mm. but I, yeah, I really started to question it when the pain was interfering with my life, um, and with my everyday, with uni, with work, um, and I ended up having to go to three different GPs to be taken seriously, really. Mm. Like I, my first GP basically said that all women get their periods and everyone's in pain. Everyone has some degree of pain during deal their period. It. Yeah, kind of. She didn't say deal with it, but it, it, it definitely felt like that. Um, and I was just told to like take Panadol and Nurofen. Um, then I tried a different medication called tranexamic acid, which helped a little bit, but it also gave me an asthma attack. So... Um, which is part of the was endo it, for me. Was it an oral medication? Yeah, it's or? an oral medication that you take. It works really well for flow. Um, it like helps to minimize your flow, and in in doing so, it helps with pain as well because um, it suppresses like prostaglandins, which are like your pain little pain dudes, little pain chemicals. Yeah. Um, so that would have been really good had I not had such severe asthma, mm-hmm. um, which. Uh, is also linked to my endometriosis as well because it's endo is a inflammatory condition and um, it's rare but some people 
get that inflammatory condition as well um, through like asthma and things. So, because asthma is also an inflammatory condition. Does that yeah. make sense? No, no, it does. I just think it's so interesting to think about how the body is completely connected because I'm so used mm. to considering things in isolation. So I have asthma, but I would not think to think of my, you know, my ovaries yeah. <laughs> as, you know, struggling down there because of my yeah. asthma. <laughs> I just, could you maybe explain to us a bit more what endometriosis is? Like what, 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 how did a doctor explain it to you firstly? Yeah. So, um, I guess, well, endometriosis is an, is an inflammatory condition to start with. It's not an autoimmune condition, which is what a lot of people think it is. It's okay. not, it's an inflammatory condition. So what happens with endo and people with endo is that, um, tissue that is or like cells, little cells, tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus called the endometrium, um, grow outside of the uterus and they can grow all throughout your body. So for me, I had it all throughout my abdomen and in an area called the pouch of Douglas, which is like behind your uterus. That sounds like a quest. <laughs> I know, right? Go and find the pouch of Douglas. <laughs> yeah, when I had the surgery and it, it comes up with all your, like your operation report and they say where they extracted the endo from and it was like pouch of Douglas and I was like, say what? <laughs> Douglas? Yeah, like, Douglas, hello. Douglas, you haven't been speaking up. <laughs> <laughs> Now's your chance to say hello. Um, no, he's camera shy. <laughs> you had okay maybe we'll, we'll stick to chronology because I don't want to skip all of it but yeah, yeah so, so basically it's it's an inflammatory condition where tissues similar to the lining of the uterus grow outside of the uterus and yours are in the abdomen mine are in my abdomen um I had all of it removed um with surgery with mm -hmm. excision surgery um and they went in laparoscopically with me which means like keyhole which you may know um I feel like I've seen a video on YouTube is that like so it's when like <laughs> it's like they put a camera in through your belly button and then they make like, I see your face, you're like, oh my God, it wasn't that bad. Um, and then they make like three small incisions on your belly and then they go in with like their scopes and like their little pins of things. God, science. Cut it all out. I know. And and did you get this surgery immediately after being diagnosed? So you said on the third doctor, mm. that was when you kind of felt like they were taking it seriously and yeah. working towards a diagnosis. Exactly, yeah. How did they diagnose it? So I basically went to this doctor saying like, look, I've done this, this, this and this. So like I'd been to all these doctors, I'd taken Panadol, I'd taken Nurofen, I've tried tranexamic acid, which I mentioned earlier. I've tried all these different things. Nothing is working mm. and something is seriously wrong. Like I should not be in such extreme pain every time I get my period, mm. so much so that it affects my life. Um, and she said, yeah, this sounds very familiar. She actually had endo as well. And wow. so she was like, it's actually very common. One in 10 females have endometriosis, which is wild. Um, she knew what to look for, she, I guess. Because yeah. And she was well-informed as well. I think regardless of whether or not she had endometriosis, she was a very well-informed GP. Mm. Um, and she basically referred me to a gynecologist. And so I went to see a gynecologist. Um, I spoke with her. I didn't love her vibe and I thought if I'm paying out of pocket for this, I want to go with a gynae who respects me and will just listen to me and take the time to answer my questions. So then I went to see a different gynecologist who is actually a man, but which at first I was like, what the hell? Why would a man be a gynecologist? But it actually was very fine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then they were like, here are your options. So I could either go on the pill or I could try the Mirena, which is like the IUD, the intrauterine device. Mm. 
Um, or I could try hormonal suppression where basically you get put into like menopause for a period of time to see if it slows the growth of the endometrial tissues. Mm. Um, I know wild, or I could have the surgery and go on the IUD, which is what I ended up doing. Right. And how did you make that decision? Were you given like, you know, a table of like the pros and cons or how, how did you go about making that decision? Yeah. Well, basically, um, we sat down and we had a long chat about it and he was like, look, you've been on the pill before and you didn't like it, which is true. It gave me quite depressive symptoms. Um, and so he didn't want to go down that path and neither, neither did I. So we excluded that. Then we looked at the IUD, which is the intrauterine device, which, um, would help with the endometriosis symptoms of pain and heavy periods and all that sort of stuff, but it wouldn't stop the growth of the endometriosis and it wouldn't get rid of the tissues that were already there. So the gold standard at the time was, as far as I'm aware, um, was to have excision surgery, which is where they cut out all the little endometrial tissues. With the snip snip. With snip snip. (laughs) And um, they... Uh, put you on the IUD as well, which is what I'm on now. Mm-hmm. So I had the surgery in November last year, 2019, and things have gone relatively okay. I won't lie. It was very, very painful. But part of my pain response to that surgery is because I have underlying chronic pain. So chronic pain is often experienced by people who have endometriosis. Not all people who have endometriosis have chronic pain. Not mm. all people who have chronic pain have endometriosis. Yeah. Um, but I, because I had had such bad period pain for about eight years before I was diagnosed with endometriosis and I'd had a previous knee surgery that the pain lasted for two years in my knee, which is not usual, mm, um, I basically have what's called chronic pain. So chronic pain is where you experience pain three months post an event. So post like surgery or an injury or anything like that. Um, and the pain is like ongoing. It's also called persistent pain. Is um, it, what does it feel? Is it like an aching or is it, is it? Yeah. Good question. So for me, my, my pain is, um, mostly in my lower back and in my abdomen, Okay, more so after the surgery in my abdomen. Mm. I've always had lower back pain. I've always had like cramping. Mm. The reason that I went to the doctor, the third doctor and pushed so hard was because I was starting to get pain in my lower abdomen outside of my period. And that's when I knew that something was really wrong because that should not happen at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Interesting. And so post- were you nervous leading up to the surgery? Were there nerves after the surgery? Like, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to be like, all right, well, this might not, like, you know, th- for them to be like, oh, this is a solution. Mm. So next time your period was coming, did you think, oh, was it coming? Like, am I going to be in pain? Like, were yeah. you worried? Were you having any anxiety about it? Absolutely, yeah. For the the only way to definitively diagnose endometriosis is by having excision surgery, which is part of why I wanted to go down that path as well, was just to know that something was actually going wrong inside. And um, so leading up to that, there were all sorts of nerves. It was like, how much would they find? What would be the extent of the disease? Mm. Would I actually have it? Like all of these things running through my mind, how much pain would I be in? All these things. But I ended up 
having the surgery, everything went okay. I was diagnosed with stage three, which means that, I mean, there's just different stagings. It's a whole thing. But um, basically it was worse than what they thought it was going to be given my age and my Mm. symptoms. But the thing with endo and pain is that you can have like stage one endometriosis and have extreme pain, or you can have stage four endometriosis and have no pain. So your pain response is so different in every person. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you're wonderfully vocal and like helpful to people when you speak about these issues. How did you, was that something that came naturally to you to be so open or was it something that you wanted to do or felt that you needed to like get off your chest or speak to your friends about it? Like how did you mentally cope with educating yourselves and the people around you on your diagnosis? Mm. I think um, knowledge is power, but it can also be quite dangerous. If you, when I was first questioning my symptoms, you know, put into Google and you go, it's like, I have ovarian cancer. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) You know, Google is is really not the right path, nor are any of those Facebook support groups I use in quotation marks because they... Can, that you, you see the worst of the worst on those support groups. And so I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. You know, I logged onto all of those and I was like, oh, my God, there's so much information. Like, this is a horrible disease. It has to run my life, blah, 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 blah. It actually doesn't. Like, yeah. the reality is, is that everybody is different. Everybody has their own experience. Like, my experience has been particularly painful and I know that I'm not alone in that. But mm-hmm. also at the same time, like, it doesn't, it doesn't rule my life. And I think... By talking about it to others and by opening up about it, it doesn't own me. Like I own it yeah. in, by talking about it and being open about it and saying to my friends, hey, I'm actually having a really bad pain day. Yeah. Like I can't hang out. Or can we have a call instead? Or like, do you want to come over instead of me having to go there? Like kind of normalizing it a bit more because I completely mm. agree in that. Um, I had a diagnosis and I started going on Google. Mm. And the thing about that is, Yes, there are the few people there who are positive and can kind of help. It's also where a lot of people can find you when you're mm. at your weakest and say things that are truly awful because yeah. I it was just like, you're unlovable, I, you know, like all these things. And I was like, oh, my God, like freaking yeah. out. And mm. it was only when I started to talk about it with my friends and realised that you can normalise it by talking about things with your friends. Mm that I didn't need to go to those places anymore. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because so I, I didn't need to, you know, seek it out in the deep, dark corners of the web. Mm. I could just let it air out a bit more. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Like not fester as much inside. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting about your journey from what you've said is, is being selective about the doctors and professionals mm. that you interact with. Because I think that's something that, I've come used to like with uh, mental health, like I've seen a lot of therapists and I've only recently found one who works for me, but I haven't considered it in terms of my GPs or my, you know, theoretical professional, like, you know, they're dealing with less personal. Well, it's all personal. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it it is that sort of thing. Like you can have a GP where you go for a sore throat. Yeah. 
that's that's one thing. Um, but I think it's really important, especially for young people, to find a GP that they trust and to find a GP that they can tell anything to mm-hmm. and to make sure that they f- that they don't feel judged when they go to the GP. I think that's super duper important. And I went to three different GPs before I got this like maybe diagnosis or Mm. before I even got a referral to go to a gynecologist. I think also what's really important in that is that you need to back yourself 110%. So Mm. if you know that you, that there is something wrong, like only, you know, your body the best, right? No one else knows your body better than you. Mm. No doctor, no nurse, no whatever knows your body more than you do. And so if you know that there is something wrong, you need to find someone who will listen to that. Yeah. And if somebody tells you, oh, it's in your head, like, yeah, maybe it is in my head, but, like, it's still there. Like, but that's real too. <laughs> that's real. The like, same goes with mental health. Like, yeah. it's great to have a GP who can track you on your mental health journey mm. and, like, mental health recovery or ongoing recovery, you mm. know? Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it can be really difficult with doctors because I feel like, especially with a GP, there's they go through a lot every day that it can feel... I don't know if I can even say this, but like I've had like mm. I've had experiences with GPs where I felt shamed for mm. um, maybe my sexual activity, you mm. know, and things like that. And I walked away like not not thinking that's one person's opinion of me, but walking away thinking, oh my god, maybe I am, <laughs> you know, mm. maybe I'm not, you know, not doing the right thing, mm. and. It only it like takes a while to realize that it's always important to seek advice from professionals, but yes. it's also important to seek much advice from many different mm-hmm. professionals because not everybody is trained the same way. Not everybody has the same experiences or manner of delivery or prescription. Mm. Like prescription is actually such a personal, not personal, but like it can be such an individual thing. Yeah, it's absolutely. not. It's not just one prescription that a doctor gives. Yeah. A patient. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think it's also important to recognize like how much of that is, is your own shame and how much of that is their shame. Mm. Like how much of, so for me, for example, I'm non-binary and I'm queer. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. And I, I had a, I had an old white male doctor once who was just like very confused and just, (laughs) oh, didn't know how to talk about it. And I could have felt very shamed by that. And I think I did at the time, but in retrospect, like that was, that's not my shame to have. That's not my shame to hold. Mm. And that was him just not knowing how to talk about those things because Mm. all he ever saw was the same, it was patients who looked exactly like him. Yeah. And I think like it, it is quite an, I do have a very white perspective as well, but in saying that, like, you just got to back yourself. Like, yeah. you just have to know that if something is wrong with your body, you just have to speak up about it again and again and again. And who cares what they say, you know? <laughs> I mean, did you feel like there was gendered language with endometriosis? Did you, is there or in a medical oh, profession? God, yeah, honey. <laughs> Oh my god! Was it's it like a bit ugh. exhausting? Yeah, look, it is exhausting. I won't lie. Um, and I mean, the reality is, is that endometriosis is mostly a disease that affects females. It can affect some males, but that's quite okay. rare. Um, but and we do live in a very gendered world, and mm. like the medical world, especially, is very binary. Mm. And so, like you know, things like going into hospital and them using like she/her pronouns for me when I'm a they. It, those sort of things are quite 
tricky to navigate, but also at the same time, like they're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. Like no one's doing it on, I don't know. I'm very easy going with that stuff because I know where I stand. My friends gender me correctly. My parents are getting there. Like my brother genders me correctly. You, You know, it's very easy to get upset about it. Yeah particularly when they're doing a job and they're trying yeah. to address pain maybe and they're not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's a hard thing to unlearn. Absolutely. And I also, I am very femme presenting mm. and um, I am white again and like I, I definitely have different privileges that other people who are more gender non-conforming than me do. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's, it's tough out there. But, like, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to whinge about it or are you going to, like... And you can still correct them. I'm exactly. sure you do. do you, you absolutely do you can correct them. They them. Yes. Um, actually, I'm an A. <laughs> um, and then they get all confused and flustered. No, not always. But um, it is those things of, like, you just got to roll with the punches. You know, go with the flow. Like, Good on th- you. There's no point in just kind of, I don't know. I was only in hospital for one night. Okay. And, like, I have been in hospital before for my asthma attacks, which was related to this endo business Mm. um, before the surgery. And same situation, like New South Wales Health or Australia Health hasn't caught up to gender fluidity or Mm. just to pronouns in general. And you still have to mark down what sex you are, which I totally understand from a medical perspective. Absolutely get it. But they don't have a gender box. Do you know what I mean? They've just got a sex box, not a gender box, which yeah. I think is interesting. And I think we're a long way from that. But, um, you know, I've got beautiful friends, great family, like, mm. you know, life's chill. I know this is off topic, but coming out to your parents, you said that they are only now getting used to yeah. you saying it. What was that experience like? Coming out to my parents as gay first a few years ago was pretty chill. I think they were a bit like, what? And then they were like, oh, no, it makes sense. (laughs) Um, I think because gender queerness, they see it as such a, I mean, look, okay, my my dad was born in Cyprus in like a small village or a city, but small. And um, he he grew up like simple life, you know, like Mm. chasing after cats in the street, like building homemade little bombs. I know. that he blew up his treehouse once. <laughs> my mom grew up in like rural South Africa on a farm during apartheid. Like they, my both my parents don't have the same experiences that we did growing up mm-hmm. and they don't, they never had the same access to information that we do. Mm-hmm. They never had the same access to different people that we do. Mm-hmm. Like they, like my mom, all of my mom's friends growing up would have been white mm-hmm. and most likely straight, mm-hmm. like because at the time they didn't speak about gender queerness, let mm. alone being gay or bi mm. um, or trans. And I think, like, the same goes for my dad. Like, chill vibes, little Mediterranean island dude. Like, <laughs> what are you going to talk about, gender queerness? No. He's out there fishing. Yeah, well, Silence. Literally, Silence yeah. He's on the boat. just there on his little island eating his moussaka. <laughs> I, that being said, like, I have explained to them that 
although it is new terminology in the English language, it's not a new idea. Mm. So if you look back to like the ancient Greeks, for example, I use this, this example with my dad and he was like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll listen. The Greeks said, the it, Greeks was- said it first. <laughs> well, Aphrodite is where the word hermaphrodite comes from. And we don't use that word anymore, but um, Aphrodite was often depicted with different genitals of different sexes and at many different times throughout um, history. And, the, you know, it's it's an ancient thing and it always has been there and it always will be there and I think like they're just trying to wrap their head around a someone who they've always known as a she is now a they and b what is this crazy new world though we don't understand anything and I'm like you can google it that's what I said to them the other day you can just google it and my mom said something really interesting she was like we didn't grow up with the internet like we don't know that you can just search for it yeah like obviously they know that you can search for it but they it's not their first port of call like they don't they don't really it's not like us where if we don't know something we're like oh my god google then we'll look at it on instagram then we'll search it on twitter then Mm. we'll look at tumblr there's all these things like even bloody tiktok is like (laughs) yes popping off i've learned so much off these like (laughs) youths from tiktok and they're all younger than me and i don't understand half of it but they're amazing (laughs) yeah and they know so much Mm. and they're just willing to educate and it's like yeah, so they're coming around to it. Yeah. And I know that they love me no matter what. It's just like a, a, a tricky thing for them to wrap their heads around, I think. Mm. I think it's remarkable, your patience with other people, even with myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, I really, really respect that. Oh, thanks. Um, and then on that as well with TikTok and open access to knowledge, I think it's so wonderful. I don't know. Again, I don't want to like pigeonhole or anything, but is there like endo stuff on TikTok? Have you ever there seen? Absolutely is. Really? Yeah, I've cracked a lot of weird TikTok algorithms. For a while, I was on like Irish TikTok only, which <laughs> I don't understand. It was all Irish dancing. Now I'm on like carpet cleaning TikTok, which is like so. I think I click on one video and I like it, and then it just shows me everything. But I I did fall into a bit of a rabbit hole with endo TikTok and. Some of it is very well informed. I think it's also important to recognize with the internet that, you know, you, you need to look at these person like at these people's kind of their references. Like what are they mm. what are they reading? Who are they? What are they like what are their accreditations and that sort of thing? Like there's a lot of bullshit out there of like change your diet and you'll cure your endo, which yeah, it may help to lessen some of your symptoms, but at yeah. the end of the day, like you need to look at what is scientifically what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, safe and sound and yeah yeah Yeah. you just look at the evidence around it and what is the sort of what is the community saying what are are the medical professionals saying what are the physios saying like what are the dietitians saying and they're all like based off scientific evidence they're all based off a solid body of research Mm -hmm. although there's not a lot of endo research there is some and Mm -hmm. that's what they're basing their recommendations off because Mm -hmm. it frankly would be irresponsible for them to just say you know, don't eat gluten and you'll be fine. Like, you know. It's also so many different things. I mean, even the fact that you said, you know, your asthma was Mm. related to the Mm. endo. Imagine like at eight or like whenever the asthma started, you wouldn't have known that. You would have have just been like, I've got really, really, really severe asthma. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it it actually, so I I got my period first and then I got asthma. Oh. So, which is actually quite common in females. It's more common in females to get your, to get asthma after their period because uh, it's, they think it's something to do with some sort of hormonal changes. Okay. Whereas for males, young boys tend to get asthma younger uh-huh. um, than girls at the same age. But um, so, 
it only started getting worse in the same year that I was diagnosed with endometriosis. So I had like two asthma attacks in a week, which I'd never had before. I'd only ever had like exercise induced asthma. Mm. And then that was the point where I was like, no, this is really bad. No one, no GPs managing my asthma appropriately because mm. I've had two asthma attacks in one week. Like that's mm. pretty severe. And on top of that, my pain was getting so much worse. Then it took that GP and she kind of put all the puzzle pieces together. And I think sometimes you need to dig deep to find those people who will help to, who will take the time to put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. yeah. And also I think, like you said, you know your body best. Mm. If somebody tells you something and you're not 100% on it, it does, I mean, it financially could hurt, but it doesn't hurt to go and check with another professional. Exactly. If you're not certain. If exactly. you If you're not comfortable, prepared yet to commit to, um, I guess, recovery or maintenance? Like, is there maintenance now for you after the surgery? Yeah. So my surgery was what, like eight months ago now, nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't lie. Like the first six months were very painful. Um, but that is because I have the history of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. So now it's more like, I'm just, I need to look after my sleep. I need to look after my diet. I need to exercise. And I'm about to start a really exciting pain program, which is where you like learn about chronic pain and like how your brain kind of arranges pain and how you think about your pain. And um, that's going to help me with my ongoing pain management and help with like fatigue and how I feel about this whole endo situation, which um, definitely has been a journey, but that doesn't mean that like I don't get to own that journey. Yeah. Do it in your own time, in your own way, with your own sense of humour. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is there going to be a stand-up special on it? (laughs) Well, maybe. (laughs) One day, one day. If everything opens up again. I did talk about it in my um, stand-up show this year when I went to Adelaide, which was really fun. Um, And I think the audience was quite shocked at some of the statistics that I was throwing out there and in particular how much money – I've spent on my health and by me, I mean my parents, um, uh, which thank God I come from like parents who are able to afford like my private surgery. Otherwise I would have had to wait for more than two years on the public health system. Like, yeah, there's a lot of barriers to accessing healthcare when you have endometriosis. Mm. Um, particularly if you're like a person of color, if you're queer or if you don't come from money basically or if you Mm. don't have parents who are in a financial position to support you Mm. what advice would you give to anybody who is kind of going through these this journey of figuring out their body and figuring out how to um I guess maintain their health Mm. in is such a complicated landscape and Mm. like in in especially like you said like not everyone has the support. Like what kind of advice would you give to younger you even? Yeah, I guess I would say like find a good GP. Yeah. Number one, find a good GP. Find a good psychologist if you need one. Like shop around a bit. Mm-hmm. You can. It's GPs are on Medicare. Like yeah. go crazy, you know? <laughs> um, don't tell Medicare I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> but that is really important. And I think also – you know your body the best, remember that, like just run with it. I think also stay off the internet, stay off Facebook, go to TikTok instead, (laughs) you know. I mean cross-reference your sources like you would if you were writing an essay, if you were going to do any sort of homework, cross-reference it. Mm. Don't just get it from Wikipedia. And 
I would also say just be open and honest about it with people because Mm -hmm. the more that you hold it in, the more that you treat it as something that is shameful, the more damaging that it is going to be for you in the long run. Yeah. That's great advice. I could use it. Oh, one more. I would say, sorry, one more. I would say that pain is not normal. Yeah. Like even period cramps shouldn't be so painful that you can't do your everyday activities. Yeah. So pain is not normal. Yeah. Don't, don't let anyone tell you to ignore it Mm. and just keep going yeah (laughs) get over it get over it anyways we won't get over it (laughs) (laughs) i refuse stop anyways thank you so much for coming onto the podcast thanks for having me i know so much more now so i really appreciate it oh thanks (laughs) thanks for having me endometriosis isn't something we're often taught about in high school for a lot of people the first time they even learn about endometriosis is when they experience it In fact, some people may not even know they have it until they receive an official diagnosis. But even though we may not hear a lot about endometriosis, people around the world have to deal with it on an ongoing basis. According to Endometriosis Australia, more than 10% of Australians with periods suffer from endometriosis at some point in their life. So what is endometriosis exactly? Endometriosis is a common illness where tissue that is similar to the lining of your uterus grows outside it in other parts of the body. Symptoms of endometriosis can vary from person to person, hence why it can be a long time before people are able to get a proper diagnosis. But common symptoms include pelvic pain, painful periods, fatigue, and chronic pain. This pain can cause daily life activities to be put on hold, which can be extremely frustrating and emotionally exhausting. While not all of us will experience endometriosis, it's important that we understand the conditions so that we can support those around us who do. If you think you may be experiencing endometriosis symptoms or your period pain is disrupting your everyday life, we encourage you to seek medical advice as soon as possible. Remember, don't be afraid to build a support network around you with the people you trust. This can be your parents, friends, teachers, co-workers, or other people experiencing endometriosis. Making sure that those around you understand what you are experiencing can help ensure you avoid feeling alienated as you navigate the changes in your body. Finally, know that you are the same person you've always been. Just because you're going through something which can be painful and scary doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. If anything, it makes you stronger and a force to be reckoned with. Thanks for listening to The Red Tales, the Red by Moddy Body podcast. If you enjoyed tuning into today's episode, related a bit too much to the story, or learned something new, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. If you're curious about how Red by Moddy Body underwear protects you against period leaks and you'd love to give it a try, visit the Red by Moddy Body website at moddybody.com red. You can even join the Red Squad by signing up on our website to receive exclusive VIP offers. Because you've tuned into our podcast today, we're giving you a special offer that's exclusive only to our podcast listeners. Simply use our special code PODCAST and you'll get a 10% discount on any red product, excluding bundles. Lastly, to keep up with all things red, make sure to follow us on Instagram at redbymoddybody. Remember, life is messy, but your period doesn't have to be.
You need to back yourself 110%. So if you know that there is something wrong, like only you know your body the best, right? No one else knows your body better than you. No doctor, no nurse, no whatever knows your body more than you do. And so if you know that there is something wrong, you need to find someone who will listen to that.